according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, examining the personal stability of verses 21 through 26. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Ask God the Father to bless our time together and to, uh, to set aside distractions, to humble us under the authority of His truth. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, once again we humble ourselves under Your authority. We thank You for the blessing and privilege that it is to assemble together. We ask for your hand of blessing upon our time of study, and we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Not only the folks that have assembled here today, but whomever may be listening to the MP3 file. We learn more and more of different folks in different places at different times, and, and I appreciate that. That's, that's, that's Lord's in charge of that, and folks that want to listen and what they're doing, that's, that's great. All right, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 21. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. This, this, uh, the, the blessings of the Word of God for believers that are living in the Word of God provides personal stability. Again, verse 23, you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. All right, so here is a passage detailing the stability that we have. And this is point eight in the outline as we've been Tracking it, abiding in God's wisdom provides a life of personal stability. Abiding in God's wisdom provides a life of personal stability. Abiding in God's wisdom provides a life of personal stability. And we have the, the passage here, Proverbs 3, 21 through 26. And you'll note, this is such a universal passage. Uh, it's, it, it really matters not uh, that... If your son is the king, or your son is, or if your father's the king, or your father's a, a, a ditch digger, or what you're going to end up doing with your life, are you going to go? If you're speaking to a young person, and the dreaded question that everybody asks, and and the the, the poor kid has no idea, says, "Well, I don't know, you know, what I'm going to do, or what the Lord's going to have for me." Um, but whatever it is, if you end up being a, a soldier, or a king, or a prince, or a priest, or whatever you end up doing. You need to be abiding in the Word of God. And so your way, it says you will walk in your way securely. Well, what is that way? It doesn't say, and there's a reason for that. It is applicable to every believer of all stewardships, of all times. This is true for guitar salesmen. This is true for pastors. This is true for anybody, all right? If you are abiding in the Word of God, your your walk will be secure. You're walking with the Lord. And so we have these... uh, these blessings, the, what I call the blessings of stability. And then uh, last week, I think we saw these, but it doesn't hurt to see them again. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. 
Do you feel cheated if we look at these verses a second time and say, well, we saw them last week and I can give you a refund if you want your money back. Say, well. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable. Be steadfast and movable. And, and the fact that this is a command tells you that it's not very common. <laughs> it's not an automatic. There's a whole lot of believers out there that are not steadfast and movable. And they need to obey the command to be steadfast and movable. And that if, uh, if, if, if you find yourself from, on occasion or here and there that you go through seasons of instability, uh, you want to ask yourself, well, why am I in a season of instability? I'm commanded to be steadfast and movable. What is it that about my personal walk with the Lord, my, my Christian way of life, that is not exhibiting the stability I'm commanded to have? And then uh, if you can't figure it out right away, then go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him. <laughs> Say, search me, Say, try me, see me. What is there? See if there be within me any evil way. And ask, Father, I am not observing the, the steadfast immovability that I'm commanded to have. Why is that? And uh, open my eyes to see the things that need to be dealt with, to see issues that need to be removed or the, the rough edges that need to be knocked off and all the rest of that. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Oh, well, there's a clue. <laughs> um, you know, the, uh, the idea of service, and then sometimes the best thing you can do as far as your own struggles is leave them with the Lord and start serving other people. Start serving other things. Quit praying for yourself all the time. I don't remember the last time I prayed for myself. Ethel told me that you guys pray for me. That's great. I don't need, I don't even need to pray for myself anymore. Who who needs that? You know, and the whole idea of and I and I encourage people. I said take a month. We got got a month coming up. April's coming up when well, then just dedicate April to anybody but you. And uh, and pray for everybody. There's a you know, 6 billion people on the planet. So you're not going to run short. Pray for anybody but yourself. Pray for your pastor. I encourage that. Pray for um, anybody but yourself. Okay, run through the list from Atchison to Zoller. Okay, pray for the whole the whole fellowship directory A to Z. And uh, anyway, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Get busy serving others. Get busy bearing fruit, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. All right, so we have the command to be steadfast, to be immovable, to not be tossed to and fro. Ephesians chapter four, verse fourteen through sixteen. Ephesians chapter four, fourteen through sixteen. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there. As a result of what? Being plugged into a local church, being equipped by a pastor, taking part in the, uh, the design for the church age. As it says in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Are you in a flock where the, the saints are equipped? Are you operating within the boundaries of a local church? Are you being built up in the body of Christ? Are you attaining to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the uh, Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ? Now, if I was a believer in a church that wasn't doing any of that, I'd be looking for a new church. <laughs> I'd be saying, wait a minute, I'm not, this isn't building me up. This isn't preparing me as a mature man. And so as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of man, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. I don't want to be to the point where, ooh, this book just got released, everybody's all excited about it, now I've got to change my whole theology, and, and that's just tossed here, tossed there, tossed everywhere else. 
But we speak the tr- but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. There's the stability. And it happens within a local church. It happens as the equipping is taking place. It happens as the word, the uh, abiding in the Word of God provides this life of personal stability. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.2, do not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed. We request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. See, they had received false doctrine related to the rapture, and they'd fallen for it. They swallowed it, hook, line, and sinker, and they got all buggy. They were in turmoil. And he says, quit doing that, not just this time, but in all future applications as well. With regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our episunagoge, that is so critical, our episunagoge, our gathering together to him. We know what a synagogue is, it's where we get synagogue, right? It's a gathering together, but this is an episunagoge, this is the episunagogue. It's like gnosis to epinosis. You got synagogue to episynagogue. It's a great word, only used twice in the New Testament. But it's connected to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our episynagogue. That's the gathering together in the clouds when we're snatched up together with those that, that rose first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's our episynagogue. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. And what happens then? Do we drop back down on the Mount of Olives and start conquering Antichrist and the forces of evil? No, we go to heaven. He takes us to the place. He's, he says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, for I go to prepare a place for you. All right, and so there it is. Uh, not to be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, what's the day of the Lord? Well, it's the tribulation of Israel. That's the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. It's the day of the Lord, spoken of hundreds of times in uh, the prophets in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And to be all wrapped up concerning the day of the Lord makes no sense at all when you have the the proper perspective on the rapture. So in verse 1, it's the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that's rapture. But in verse 2, it's the day of the Lord. Then in verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the departure comes first. That points back to verse 1, the gathering of our, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. It's restating verse 1 in a different way, using apostasia to describe the departure. The day of the Lord cannot come until, unless the departure comes first. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. All right? So there's the order on it there. It's a marvelous passage in three verses that outline the pre-tribulational rapture of the church, I think, in no uncertain terms. The only the, the, the uh, folks that rejected uh, have reasons for rejecting it uh, that are beyond the, the language of the text or the context of the passage. And, uh, well, it is what it is. Finally then, James 1. So don't be so quickly shaken from your composure disturbed. Stop. Slow things down. Think about it. 
James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. More stability. Hebrews and James. You know, stability does not mean you know everything. Stability means you're trusting the one who does know everything, (laughs) okay? And for the things you don't know, uh, for the wisdom you don't have, you're asking him to provide it. And when he chooses to provide it, he will. And in the meantime, you trust the one who knows everything. And uh, you understand that if there's things that you want to know and and it's not for you to know, then he'll he'll let you know. Daniel wanted to know all kinds of stuff. and, And the angel said, forget it, Daniel, it's not for you. Be content. So um, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously without reproach, it will be given to him. It may not be what you expect, but it's what you need. He must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That's not a good thing. We don't want to be tossed, all right? Gina or Doug? All right. He must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So here it is. Do you want to be the double-minded man? Do you want to be unstable in all your ways? Don't recommend it. The book of James is telling you, don't do that. All right. And so, stability. The Word of God provides for us stability. And we can be very thankful for that. Moving on then. The life of wisdom contains several thou shalt nots. The life of wisdom contains several thou shalt nots. Proverbs 3, verses 27 through 31. Let's get back to Proverbs 3. The life of wisdom contains several thou shalt nots. Do not withhold good, or thou shalt not withhold good. Okay, now the English translators have not rendered any of these with thou shalt not. Okay, that, that's the kind of language that's left for the Decalogue. It's left for the Ten Commandments. It's left for law, all right? And in, in wisdom literature, we're not detailing law. This is not a Torah, but this is wisdom. And, and what's interesting is you have Torah that's given to the nation that's, that's binding, that, that, that governs their operations, their... their um, their interactions and so forth. But now we have wisdom literature that builds on that. Wisdom literature that then takes those principles and applies it in a very practical way for daily life, for daily living. All right. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. How many people do you know that do this? They could pay it, but oh, can you come back tomorrow? It's sitting in your pocket right now. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. So who would do that? You'd be surprised. A lot of people do that, and you and I will start doing that if we venture into those realms of carnality. Four, by way of explanation, the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate 
with the upright. All right, now when we get to 32 through 35, we're in the next section, so let me stop there. Let's just take 27 through 31. We have several thou shalt nots. In fact, five of them. We'll list them for you, A, B, C, D, E. 27, 28, 29, 30, 31. All right, starting with verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. This is a sin of omission. And when you commit this sin of omission, you are as carnal as the day is long. All right, so subpoint A, thou shalt not withhold good from those to whom it is due. It is due. And to whom is it due? Well, <laughs> we're going to answer that question for you here. All right. So subpoint A, just take the text of Proverbs 3.27. Thou shalt not withhold good. Withhold good. And boy, is that, is that broad? Is that, that's a pretty general description. That's a pretty wide um, statement to make that would uh, include an awful lot of, of uh, details within it. And when we talk about our ways and our paths and we talk about a broad description or a very narrow, uh, specific description, this is very broad. This is, very, uh, this is a wide description about doing good. And it's far more, uh, I think that this gets violated far more often than people realize because it is so general and because it is a sin of omission. These thou shalt not, in fact, this first one especially, the second one, let's see, how many of these... You know, you start to wonder, how, how often do I violate this without even knowing it, without even thinking about it? Because it's telling me to not, not do something. Right? To not not do something. It says, don't withhold. And by withholding, I'm not doing something. I'm not giving. I'm not blessing. I'm not giving. I'm not loving. I'm not doing good, whatever it might be. And, and for whatever reason, maybe I'm selfish or maybe I'm just not thinking, maybe I'm just thoughtless, maybe I'm just careless, or maybe, maybe I, uh, I'm failing to uh, see that it's my open door. I think, well, somebody else is going to take care of that. But, but it's my assignment. So why am I not taking care of that? So it's a sin of omission, but it's, this is a, the omission, the, the sin is not doing something when I'm the one that's been assigned to do it. I think it's key that we understand that. Withholding good. Why would I hold good? Well, you know, think about the fellow that didn't want to didn't want to redeem Ruth. Not Boaz, the other guy, right? The guy that we don't know his name, thankfully. Okay, we don't know his name, and it's a good thing. God's very gracious that we don't know his name, because um, we get to heaven and we meet him and we say, "Oh, you're that guy," <laughs> right? Well, thankfully, we don't know his name, but. Uh, he, he withheld good. It was in his power to do it, but why? Well, he said, well, then my other children are going to suffer. My inheritance will suffer. And, and, and so there's selfish reasons to withhold good. There's, there's other reasons to withhold good. Maybe you just withhold it because you don't like the guy. It's a, it's a personality thing. You say, well, I just, you know, what have you done for me lately? And I don't even like you. And, uh, you know, wait a minute. All right. And so we have the principle here. It comes back in the New Testament in Romans 13.7 and Galatians 6.10. Principles that I think we can uh, relate. So we, by, by finding the New Testament connections, we understand that it's not simply uh, a facet of Old Testament. It's not a feature of law. It's not given strictly to the Jewish people for their stewardship. 
Very little in, in Proverbs is limited to the Jewish people. You understand? It's wisdom that is timeless for believers that are walking in a manner to please the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Romans 13, 7. Then you think about these sins of omission. Render to all what is due them. All right, same principle, what is due. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. And, and I think we want to be clear on what is due, what is obligation, what is, what is a debt, what, is, what is, is, is a real entitlement. And that's, that's a whole study on its own, particularly since our culture today is so warped and, and, and confused on what people think they're entitled to and, and, and what they are owed. All right. So here's a text that tells us, tax to whom tax is due. All right. So who do you pay your taxes to? And do you voluntarily pay taxes when they're not due? I mean, who does that? You know, you realize, well, my house is in Williamson County. Uh, I'm not going to pay the Travis County tax assessor. It's not due them. It's due these other guys. All right. And, uh, and whatever, you know, I, I, I'm subject to the laws of the state of Texas. I'm not subject to the laws of the Republic of Texas. The Republic of Texas no longer operates, okay? The Republic of Texas was annexed to the United States of America. So I'm not going to follow the, I'm not bound by the laws of the Republic of Texas. I'm bound by the laws of the state of Texas. And so I think it's, it's legitimate to observe uh, to whom these things are due and why are they due. Is it legitimate that they are due? Then it, not only is it tax, but then it says custom to whom custom. And that's a different form of tax. And, and it's related to the first tax, but they are different taxes. And, and we want to realize there are forms of taxation that are legitimate. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. And obviously the first one I've got to fear is fearing God, the fear of the Lord. I want to lose that. But should I also have fear, reverence, respect for authority? I believe the Bible maintains that. I do have respect for authority, for kings and all who are in authority over you and so forth. Beyond that, the, uh, your fa- honor your father and mother. You want to be respectful to your elders. And we've got biblical patterns for an, an awful lot of things. Not only because it's right, but because it is expected. It is due, Okay. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, honor to whom honor. I think we fall short in that on occasion. There's legitimate reason to honor those to whom the honor is due. Well, in what scope? How do we honor to whom honor is due? And, and if it's due them, and God, in God's viewpoint it's due them, and we don't do it, we don't do what God thinks is due. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. D-O and D-U-E, right? We have to do, D-O. All right. But see, if it's do them and we withhold it, what are we doing? Honor to whom honor. Then it goes on to say, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So we got two verses back to back, and you might say, well, those contradict, similar to what we're going to get into in um, Proverbs 25, saying, well, they, they contradict in back to back verses. No. There are occasions when you apply this and occasions when you apply that. So, uh, don't withhold good from those to whom it is due. Galatians 6.10 There are those to whom it is due and there are those 
that it is especially due. Due and especially due. And if you have those to whom it is especially due, you start with them. Galatians 6.10 So then, while we have opportunity, and I think that's key because that links back to Proverbs, um, when it is in your power to do it. You have the opportunity that this is your assignment, that it's been assigned to you. You have the assignment, you have the opportunity, it's in your power, and you just blow it off and say, well, someone else will take care of that? Wait a minute. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Then it says, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So we have the the umbrella command, and then we have the especially part. It tells us that's where we start. All right? That's where we prioritize. And so we understand the procedures and and so forth. What is the priority for benevolence with respect to uh, the local church, with respect to the assistance that we are able to provide uh, on those occasions and when needed and and in in the various opportunities that we have? Well, it starts with us. It starts with the body of Christ. And particularly, it starts with the lampstand of Austin Bible Church. It starts with the body of Christ here. All right? Then we might look at the body of Christ here beyond here. And then we might look to the unbelievers that aren't even part of the body of Christ. They're included in all men, right? But do we want to misprioritize these things so that we, like I say, six billion people on the planet, we can't, when you have finite resources, how do you prioritize? How do you have the wisdom to allocate them appropriately? Otherwise, you end up, that's why you investigate uh, if, if there's fraud in Uganda, you find out, look at that, there's fraud in Uganda. We're done. <laughs> All right. Because, see, if, if you're allocating funds here and it's being misallocated and stolen and abused, and, and, and well, then you have, you're diminished in what you're trying to do over here. hate to tell someone, sorry, uh, we'd like to help you, but... Those funds went to some huckster. and <laughs> Yeah. All right. Back to Proverbs then. Do not withhold. And the idea of withholding is that, well, you could give it, but you're choosing not to. You could. It's in your power. But you're choosing not to. Why have you made that choice? You made that choice in fellowship? <laughs> you know? I mean, are you just carnal as the day is long? Why, why did you make that choice? Why did you say... No, when you could have said yes. All right, am I making sense this morning? There's reasons to say no. If you are biblically prioritizing and if you are showing discernment and so forth, there are reasons to say no. But to say no for no reason, that's a violation. Okay? Or even worse, to say no for carnal reasons is a violation. All right. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it to you. So this is kind of an extension of the first one. It's not an outright no, but it's a delay. Okay? It's not an outright no, forget it, go away. I'm on my brother's keeper. You're not my problem. It's not an outright no. The outright no is in verse 7. But this is a delay. Well, not yet. Okay? Well, tomorrow. Okay? Or even worse, um, tomorrow, 
if you can do something for me first. Okay, we start to barter, we start to trade certain things. All right, so here's the delay. Go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you already. You already have it with you today. So thou shalt not delay to do the right thing. You shall not delay to do the right thing. You know it's good. Don't withhold the good and don't delay the good. Don't delay the good. Why is it that you want to keep it? You need it one more day? Why are you holding it one extra day? What what value is there there? Well, maybe the hope is that he'll forget and won't come back. (laughs) Right? And uh, come back tomorrow. How How many come back tomorrow? So maybe, maybe there's uh, 10 people you're trying to help. You tell all 10 of them to come back tomorrow. Maybe only eight of them come back tomorrow, or maybe nine of them come back tomorrow. However many don't come back tomorrow, you're able to, to skate with, uh, with not repaying or not doing something. Shall not delay to do the right thing. This is the occasion. This is the moment. We are creatures of time bound by time, and each moment that we have is the blessing that cannot be re- regained. We, we never turn back the clock. If we, if we blow it, we can make better decisions next time, but that doesn't change what we did when we blew it. Along with Proverbs 3, we've got Leviticus 19, 13, Deuteronomy 24, uh, verses 12 through 15, and James 5, 4. Leviticus 19, 13. Part of uh, the pericope heading here says sundry laws. All right. Um, so we got a, an assortment of things. And in this, includes a lot of things that we would call fraud, like in verse 11. There's, there's flat out stealing, and then there's dealing falsely, and uh, then lying to one another, and then swearing uh, falsely by my name as to profane the name of the Lord. I am the the Lord. And then verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. That is a form of theft. If you are delaying, why are you delaying? Why are you delaying? You are under a commitment and you made a commitment. And the the wages of the hired man, if he put in his work, pay him. They are not to remain with you all night until morning. Again, the idea is, well, what's the purpose in the delay? Why, uh, why not pay him that night? Well, what if he doesn't live till the morning? What if he doesn't come back in the morning? What if something else happens in the meantime and, and so forth? And, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll withhold your first month pay and we'll, we'll pay it at the end. And, you know, every time you do that, though, you, you're under a bondage because it is due them. You are, in, you are in debt to them. Now he finishes his job. At the end of the day, pay him. Close a business is close a business. Anyway, there's other things that are connected in that. Hmm. All right. Then uh, Deuteronomy tw- uh, 24, verses 12 through 15. I mean, there's other reasons why you might delay. If he has to come back in the morning, well, then you've got to hold on him. He'll come back the next morning. Maybe you can get another day work out of him or whatever. But Deuteronomy 24, verses 12 through 15. 
why does the federal government like withholding so much? Why do they want to hold our tax dollars and then at the end of the year give us back the, the extra when they kept too much or whatever? Why, why do they want to do it that way? Because they can save it and invest it and make interest on it and do what they're doing with it or not give it back to you if you fail to, to file for it, if you fail to ask for it or if you die or whatever. Anyway, yeah, it's good to, good to be the one that holds the money if you're carnally minded and you want to do ugly things with it. <laughs> Deuteronomy 20, I'm not going to get political here, all right. Deuteronomy 24, verses 12 through 15. And uh, this follows in the context also. Um, backing up to verse 10. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not enter his house to take his pledge. And this, this you know, allows him a measure of privacy, a measure of, of um, um, decency, uh, diminishes the embarrassment, different things. You're also not scoping it out, looking for what the next pledge might be, if uh, <laughs> finding out exactly how poor he is or how rich he is or whatever else you might score in, uh, in his straits. It's none of your business. That's his house. You shall remain outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. The, the, the guarantee, whatever it is, you're loaning him some money and he's giving you some security. But now notice, if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep with his pledge. When the sun goes down, you shall surely return the pledge to him that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you and it will be righteous for you before the Lord your God. Now there's principles at work here that a businessman might look at that and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. I, I want a real pledge then. I don't want, I don't want something I've got to give back that night. What if it takes longer than a day to pay me back? You know. <laughs> well, you're missing the point, all right? There's principles at work here in terms of generosity, in terms of grace, in terms of um, so many different things. Um, you, want him to, you want him to, you know, he's, you've taken his cloak, and you expect him to, to stay warm tonight? And you say, well, I don't, not my problem. <laughs> not my problem if he freezes or whatever. You should have thought about that before he gave me the cloak as a pledge. Wait a minute. It is your problem. You are your brother's keeper. What are we really doing? Okay, what are we really doing? So, um, anyway, there's other principles. It's why they don't collect uh, the interest from their brothers and then different principles there. The idea is he needs a loan for whatever the... The thing is, expect he's going to take the loan. He's going to do what he needs to do with it. He's going to work. You're going to get paid at the end of his day. You can repay your loan. But anyway, other things that work there. Finally, James 5.4 in the New Testament. James Context starting in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. <laughs> wow. What are, you, what are you talking about? I thought money makes all your problems go away. And uh, I don't have any misery. There's nothing, I have no problems coming up. Anything that might happen, my money will take care of it, so I'm great. Wisdom says, wait a minute. <laughs> your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you. It will consume your flesh like fire. The wealth you think you have is not as permanent as you think it is. 
It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. There's some difficult times ahead and there's thieves, there's moth, there's rust, there's any number of things. And you, you're, you, you're putting your faith in, the, in, in wealth. What are you doing? Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. You're violating Leviticus. You're violating Deuteronomy. You're not paying them at the end of the day. You're withholding it. Why are you withholding it? And it's crying out against you. Remember when Abel's blood cried out to the Lord? Withheld funds. The pay. You've withheld it and it's crying out. Withheld pay cries out. The outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. There you go. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. And it shows the attitude that they had in their business dealings, not only in uh, violating the principles of wisdom literature and withholding and different things. You wonder what else have they done in their wanton living, their luxurious living. Fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. All right, so you shall not delay to do the right thing. You, you know, in the whole principle of delay, the whole principle of uh, <laughs> procrastination, right? You ever do a study on procrastination? Yeah, you meant to, yeah. <laughs> Haven't gotten around to it yet. I know, I keep thinking one of these days I'm going to do that. The, um, but see, here's the thing. Day by day, we have the moment. We, we, yes, you look to the, land, the anto sluggard, and yes, we should, be, we should have a long-term view as well as the day-by-day view. I get that. But in, in the operation of that, maintaining a long-term and a day-by-day view, both, I think the idea of the, the, the wicked procrastination, whereby we're delaying the right payments and we're not doing the right thing and we're slow about other things, the only reason for that slowness is not because of long-term thinking, it's because of carnal thinking. I am delaying to do the right thing because I'm hoping if I put it off, put it off, put it off, then I won't ever have to do it. It's, it's, it's the one who just doesn't want to come right out and say, no, I'm not doing it. Well, someday, someday, someday. And it's a way to lie to yourself when what you're really saying is, no, I don't want to do it. And if I delay, 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 well, then maybe I'll never have to do it. So, God sees through that and says, I'm way ahead of you. (laughs) All right. Thou shalt not devise any harm against your neighbor. Any harm. Now, I get the fact I can't kill him. That's in the Ten Commandments. Okay? I I, I shouldn't murder. And I shouldn't covet what he has. That's in the Ten Commandments. And I shouldn't take his wife. That's adultery. I get that. But beyond those very specific laws, we actually have... The principle of do no harm. We have the principle, and I hate to say that, isn't that the Google phrase or is that the Apple phrase of do no harm? They've adopted that as their philosophy. Google, okay. So they've adopted that as their business philosophy. You know, that's fine. Whatever. You can have a business philosophy all you want. But here's a biblical principle. All right. Returning back to, uh, you know, to do good. Is it just the absence of not doing harm? All right, where am I? Verse 29. Here we go. 
Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Even devising it, thinking about it, planning it, plotting it, considering it, hoping for it. And so that even if uh, even if you're not the hand that does it, you're uh, you're ready to act when it happens. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. And if, why does your mind even go there? Why are you even thinking about that? Harm against your neighbor. You ought to be the best neighbor he's got. You ought to be the one he's not worried about. The guy on the other side maybe he's worried about, but he shouldn't be worried about you. You're living your life according to biblical principles. Devising harm. And so maybe um, you can envision different things in the way that you're... Um, whatever. You, you, maybe you just happen to notice uh, he's got a hole in his fence, or you happen to notice something, and do you bring it to his attention? Or do you find a, a way that you can work that to your advantage? Why are you devising harm against your neighbor? See, if he suffers, what does that, what does that give you? Well, it depends on how carnally minded you are. It depends on if you have designs on his property. It depends on if uh, you're going to be like like Jezebel, and you, and you see a garden and you, or an orchard, and uh, hey, you're the king, go take it. You know, if somebody goes through hard times, that's, that's an opportunity to the carnal-minded. It says, hey, you know, you know if, he, uh, if he really, really comes into some tough spots, then there may come a day that he's going to, he may just sell off a piece of his land. All right? And uh, he may come to a point where, yeah, he'd prefer not to, but he kind of needs it. And so, and who's waiting right there? Who's waiting right there to scarf up some, some cheap land? Or maybe, maybe he gives a fair price for it, but it would never happen anyway had you not brought him to that point. See? And whatever it might be. The, none of these are specific, and they're not supposed to be specific. They're supposed to be general so that we make the application under all the circumstances. Why would I devise any harm against my neighbor? while he lives securely beside you. All right? Uh, This will be expanded later on in chapter 16. Proverbs 16, verses 19 and 30. No, 29 and 30. Proverbs 16, verses 29 and 30. We get out of the parental wisdom portion and we get into uh, the next portion of the book of Proverbs. Verse 28 says, a perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. That's one way you can harm your neighbor. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Maybe two neighbors decide to gang up on a third. He who winks his eyes (laughs) does so to devise perverse things. Isn't that interesting? Again, two neighbors deceiving another neighbor, winking the eye. And uh, you're deceiving, you're deceitful, you're saying one thing while you, you know, wink to the guy that you're in cahoots with. What's that about? That, that, that's about defra- defrauding this person. And then he who compresses his lips. Yeah, that's the guy who received the wink. He was the guy that was winked at, so he compresses his lips. Doesn't say anything. He goes along with it. And so you have two parties now that are involved in the the harm to the third. 
All right. No, you don't want to devise harm against your neighbor. What are you, you're imitating Satan at that point. Psalm 35.20, back in the Psalms. Psalm 35.20. Remember, what's the difference between a psalm and a proverb? Not much, actually. <laughs> uh, psalms are put to music. There you go. It's wisdom literature. Psalm 35.20. And uh, in a context here, Lord, verse 17, how long will you look on, rescue my soul from their ravages, my life, my only life from the lions? I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among a mighty throng. You know, this was you know, related to Psalm 22. This is part of what gave the Lord confidence while he's hanging on the cross. He's, he knows that when God brings him through the test, he's going to thank him for it, give him the praise. Do not let those who are wrongfully my enemies rejoice over me, nor let those who hate me without cause wink maliciously. There's that winking again. And they're working together on this, and they're cooperating in their deceit and in their damage and their, in their uh, attack. For they do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful words against those who are quiet in the land. Understand that. Who do they manipulate? Who do they attack? These kind of uh, fraudsters and these kind of manipulators, you know, who do they look who do they look out for? Who's their next victim? The one that's at peace, the one that's not expecting it, the one that's vulnerable to that kind of a thing. Get these fraud phone calls. Your computer has a problem. I want to help you fix your computer. Well, of course, I know it's a bunch of garbage, but what about elderly folks and folks that don't know better and, and folks that say, oh, you're from the Windows Support Department? Oh, you want to take over my computer and, and troubleshoot it? Oh, tell me what I need to do. And then they walk them through the phone. Well, go to your computer and go to this website and, and click this and click this and they walk you right through it while they hijack your whole thing. All right. Um... They devise deceitful words against those who are quiet. They open their mouth wide against me. And they say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. They've been waiting for it. Oh, they've been waiting for it. They knew it was going to happen. They knew it was going to happen. Aha, told you so. (laughs) And is that what we're doing when we're devising a scheme against our neighbor? Waiting for it, waiting for it. Just waiting for our aha moment. Micah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Remember Micah? Jonah, Micah, Nahum. There it is. Micah chapter 2. Woe to those who scheme iniquity. They haven't done anything. But boy, they've been scheming it thinking about it, planning it. Who work out evil on their beds. They stay up late at night thinking about ways they can be evil the next day. How does this scheme work? What can I get away with tomorrow? When morning comes, they do it. For it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields and then seize them. See, I think this is why I've been using this illustration with the Proverbs and the Psalms references. It seems to be an application of what we're talking about when they're scheming evil against their neighbor. They covet fields and then they seize them. 
For whatever reason. Why is that land better than this land? Grass is always greener, right? Houses. They covet houses and they take them away. They rob a man and his house. A man and his inheritance. See, we're supposed to be doing good to our neighbor. We're supposed to be blessing our neighbor. We should be building him up so that he has an inheritance to leave to his children. And instead, we're looking, we're finding ways that we can bring him into some financial difficulty. And then we can uh, start to plunder. We can start to chip away. What does he have left for his kids? That's not my problem. Okay. You see the the carnal mindedness to all this? All right. So behold, thus says the Lord, behold, I, (laughs) I have a plan too. I am planning against this family a calamity. You stayed up all night scheming your schemes and planning your plans and you're doing all this stuff. And the Lord says, I'm way ahead of you. Because I got a plan too. I'm planning against this family a calamity from which you cannot remove your necks. All right. Well, see, Lord's in charge. So there's three of the thou shalt nots. Um, Verse 30. So point D, thou shalt not contend with a man without cause. I think that without cause is important in all of these. We have context, we have parameters with all of these. Without cause. There will be times you must contend. If he gives you cause, then contend based on that cause. Alright, do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Thou shalt not contend with a man without cause. And, and sometimes I wonder... Are we hypersensitive? Are we extra touchy? Do we find cause when there is no cause? Do we look for cause? Are we just waiting to be offended? Are we just so wrapped up in all kinds of darkness that the minute I mean, we have those aha moments, ah, you've done me harm. You've, you've, uh, I, have, I now have cause. Well, maybe, probably not. You probably have a better cause. How about a cause to forgive, a cause to show grace, a cause to turn the other cheek, as Jesus would say, in his ministry. Now, if he's given you cause, if he's brought you to harm, okay. If he has done you harm, then what's the procedure? Is there a contending? And what's the contending if he has legitimately brought you to harm? You take it to the elders. You take it to the city gates. You press your case. You have a legitimate case. He's brought you to harm. And there will be restitution made. What was the harm? Did you lose a goat? All right, then he will rest. And there might be, if he did he steal from you? It might be sevenfold that he's going to be forced to return. Deal with it, but deal with it the right way. Deal with it the mandated way. Utilize the procedures that God has put in place. Follow the laws of divine establishment for volition, for marriage, for family, for nations. Utilize the system that God has prescribed so that God is glorified in what you do. If we don't do it the right thing in the right way, then we're no better than the unbelievers and we're not glorifying God the Father. Anyway, and then in some cases, if you really understand the principles of grace, like we have in the New Testament, well, why not rather be defrauded? You know, in the case of brother against brother, you're going to go to a secular court to resolve something between two Christians. Why aren't we handling it in the church? Why don't we sit down with the pastor, sit down with a deacon or two and say, look, here's the harm that was done. What are we going to do? And glorify Jesus Christ and handle it ourselves. Anyway, we taught that in 1 Corinthians. Um, over to, it's a longer development on this in chapter 26. 
Proverbs 26, verses 17 through 21. You know, and you think of all the things that uh, you can do when you bring bring harm to a neighbor. (coughs) I love Proverbs 26. The dog that returns to his vomit. The uh, man who is wise in his own eyes. The sluggard says there's a lion in the road. There's always a reason why I can't go out and find a job. Well, there's a lion in the road. Well, there's a lion in the open square. Gee, I was just out there and I didn't see any lion. There's always a reason. Um, As the door turns on his hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. Just roll over and do it again. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. (laughs) How lazy are you? If you can't even, I mean, you got your hand in the dish and you, you can't even get it to your mouth again? I mean, man... And yet, he's got all the answers. Don't tell him what he needs to do. Wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. All right, now we get into the neighbors. Like one who takes a dog by the ears. Why would you want to do that? That seems kind of dumb. Is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him? Oh, it is kind of dumb. All right. You know, you just grab a dog by the ears, that thing's probably going to bite you. Of course, I think all dogs bite anyway. But um, why are you getting involved meddling in a strife that's not even your business anyway? You're going to jump in there like Moses did to those two, and you're just going to make both sides mad at you? What are you doing? I learned as an MP the most dangerous thing you ever go to is a domestic disturbance call. I've seen it. You show up, the, the husband's just beating on his wife. It's the ugliest thing in the world. The MPs jump on the husband. The wife jumps on the MP. Starts hitting, you know, leave my husband alone, leave my husband alone. Anyway, so yeah, we were trained to, you know, have each other's back and look out for the wife when you're grabbing the husband and get them, get them both separated. That was part of our training course. All right, meddling with strife not belonging to him. Why are you doing that? That's stupid. It's like grabbing a dog by the ears. I'm guessing dogs don't like that. All right. All right. I had a dog once. (laughs) All right. Let's move on. Verse 18. Like a madman. Like a madman. We have plenty of those around. Who, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? (laughs) Oh, come on. I was just joking. Can't you take a joke? Wait a minute. You lied to me. You weren't joking. You're trying to cover up deceit by just saying it was a joke? You're trying to... No, you were lying to me. Can't cover it up in that way. It's like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. You know, there's, there's certain people you don't want with firearms. Okay? All right. Um, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. That makes sense. And where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. One of the ways you can stop the fire is to remove the fuel from the fire. Take away the source of fuel. Take away the oxygen. Take away the fuel. And uh, the fire will will itself go out. It has to burn. That's what it has to do. Take away the fuel. It can't. And so, if there's contention going on, if there's problems in the neighborhood, if there's other things going on, don't add fuel to the fire. 
diminish it. Take away the, stop the whispering. Don't bring them to harm. These are the things that we're illustrating here. And there's any number of ways you can devise harm against a neighbor. You can contend with a man without cause. There's no point in that. Like charcoal to hot embers. Like wood to fire. So is a contentious man to kindle strife. And this is the person. He's just ready. He's everywhere he goes. Every workplace, every job, every neighborhood, every marriage, every everything. And he's just waiting. He's, he's, he's waiting to light the next spark. In some cases, they thrive on it. All right. Thou shalt not contend with a man without cause. Finally, the fifth of the thou shalt nots. Thou shalt not envy a man of violence and choose any of his ways. Thou shalt not envy a man of violence and choose any of his ways. Well, who would do that? Believers. Believers that uh, quit looking to the Lord. Believers that quit abiding in the Word of God. Believers that lose sight of His commands. Remember, the, this, this whole passage started off with not losing sight. When we were talking about... Um, let them not vanish from your sight in verse 21. So if you start growing neglectful of God's principles, then you might start um, envying. You might start looking around and thinking, hmm, he seems to have what I don't have. seems to have what I want. I'm kind of a chump. I'm here I am walking the straight and narrow. Here I am obeying God. Here I am doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm doing the right things, and I don't have half of what he's got. Seems to me I'm getting ripped off. Seems to me I'm losing out. Well, if that's the way it's going to be, well then who needs the Lord? I'll just start doing this. You know, I'll, I'll follow this lifestyle. I'll follow that lifestyle. Right? This is all what envy is about. Envying a man of violence. Well, we are not to envy. We are not to covet. The whole the, the damage that you do with bitterness and, and jealousy and envy. And by the way, that envy is the same etymology behind the evil eye we were talking about in the, in the Galatians um, witchcraft. When we were talking about who has bewitched you. It comes down to envy. It comes down to just the, 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 the mental enslaving that takes place. You get consumed with it. All of a sudden, it's just nothing else matters. Your thought process is affected. Your priorities are, are chucked out the window. And the only thing that, that you're spellbound at that point, envy takes over. And boy, look out. Nothing's going to stop you. You're going to get what you're going to want. So um, we're told not to do it. Do not envy a man of violence. Do not choose any of his ways. And say, well, you know... I wouldn't resort to violence. Why wouldn't you? Sure, while you're in fellowship, you wouldn't. While you're walking in the light, you wouldn't. But what would you do when you're under darkness? What would you do if you're not in control of your own faculties? What, you know, why is it you do the things you do when you're drunk you don't do when you're sober? Or you're stoned out of your mind and you do things when you're on drugs you wouldn't do when you're not on drugs? Same thing with sin. You do things in sin that you wouldn't do and then you wake up and you think, I can't believe I did that. Humans are capable of all kinds of things. Even believers. Alright. Um, and this comes back. This was how Proverbs began. This was one of the opening warnings from chapter 1. 
Do not envy them. Do not go in the way with them. Do not run with them. Proverbs 1, 10 through 19. It will come back again in uh, Proverbs 24, verses 1 through 4, but I'm out of time. <clears throat> Proverbs 24, verses 1 through 4. Do not be envious of evil men or desire to be with them, for their minds devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. <clears throat> but it's by wisdom that a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Okay, Have the divine viewpoint on things, not the world's methods. Thank you, Father, for this day, for this class, for these brothers and sisters, and anyone else, Father, that may be listening to the MP3 uh, off the website. Uh, Father, it might be uh, today, it might be years from now, but whatever the case, use this word, glorify your Son. We thank you, Father, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.